What is up guys? Welcome to episode 59 of the Triage Method podcast. Now, this week it's going to be a little bit of a different story. It's just going to be me, Gary, that you're dealing with. Um, Paddy is doing exams at the moment. We schedule the podcast for today on Friday at one o'clock and I couldn't make it until 1.30 and then he was kind of caught up after that and he's got some hard exams this weekend. So with that in mind, I'm just going to take the podcast today. We're going to have a, a, a sort of shorter episode. I say that now, that mightn't be the case, um, but we will get stuck into it nonetheless. So today what we're going to be talking about is the topic of health. Okay, we don't, but a lot of the discussions that you hear around health are probably quite biomedically focused, focusing on very specific markers and, you know, what ranges you might want different things to be in, in order to be considered to be healthy, I guess. Uh, you might even think of it as simply being the absence of disease, and that once you do not have any you know, abnormalities or diseases, that one could be considered to be healthy. And today, I guess what I want to do is open up your mind to a, a broader perspective on health, and not necessarily give you a specific prescription in terms of how you should think about your health, but rather to give you the ownership to think about this in a broader sense. So I would like you to walk away from this podcast thinking about some of the social aspects of health, some of the things in your personal life, in your career that may or may not be contributing to your health, because all of that is really, really important stuff that we often gloss over when it comes to discussions about health and fitness okay you know we've been talking about that for quite a while at triage about how one of our primary goals is to kind of focus on the health aspect of health and fitness that doesn't mean we're not really focused on helping you guys to build muscle to lose body fat to increase your vo2 max whatever it is they're really important things for both both health and your performance or aesthetic goals but we also want to play a role in getting you to look at health as a whole. So that brings us to a kind of a starting point where we need to, to consider, like, what does health actually mean? Like, like how do we actually define that? And, you know, in, in older times, if you went back a couple of hundred years, you might think of health as simply the absence of disease. And, you know, 200 years ago, that would have made a lot of sense because, you were dealing with, you know, uh, communicable diseases that were the primary barriers to health. You know, you're not thinking about flourishing, which is something we'll talk about in a while. You're, you're not thinking of flourishing if you were, you know, riddled with the bubonic plague or whatever it is, you know, they're, they're different things to be dealing with. So in that case, it makes sense to think of, of health in terms of communicable diseases, in terms of the absence of those diseases, but these days, it's sort of a bit of a different discussion, especially when we start to think about the barriers to health these days, I guess. You know, the biggest health challenges we face these days tend to be more so related to chronic disease, to, you know, things related to lifestyle, things related to our own satisfaction in our jobs, mental health, etc. These are the real barriers and problems that we see cropping up in modern society. So... If we were to go back to the World Health Organization's definition of health from 1948, which is kind of still carried on to today, they would have defined health as a complete physical, mental and social well-being 
and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So clearly that was a step forward from that older definition of simply the absence of disease. So that is one step forward and that, and that is fantastic. However, there's still some significant problems with that definition, namely the use of the word complete. Okay, can we really expect people to ever reach a complete state of physical, mental and social well-being? I don't think so. And that's not something that we can view just from a permanence aspect also, because I shouldn't have said also there, but it's not something we can just view from the aspect of permanence because we also have to view it from the perspective of the day to day. You know, if you were someone who was experiencing a little bit of back pain on one day, no pain the next day, you know, a flare up of back pain for a week or you have an argument with a friend or whatever it might be then that might be something that we consider to be affecting your well-being at that point in time. And then if we if we run run forward with this definition, then what we would have to accept is that you're currently not healthy at that point in time. And I don't think that is a very fair assessment. So I think the use of the word complete is a little bit reductionistic and it kind of narrows your focus too much on this kind of binary thing of health or unhealth, you know, being healthy or unhealthy. And I don't think that's particularly helpful for the everyday person, you know, especially in the modern environment, because a lot of the problems that we're dealing with at the moment in terms of, I guess, if you if you were to, to consider the problems that healthcare deals with, it's over-medicalization. And that is something that we've kind of discussed on the podcast a number of times, over-medicalization, over-treatment, over-diagnosis, um, just a general over-reliance on medical treatments on medicalizing the everyday experience and that's particularly apparent when it comes to things like pain it's particularly apparent when it comes to things like stress even you know some of these experiences that go on in everyday life it is tempting to medicalize them and if we run with this definition from the world health organization we can see how that runs the risk of feeding into this problem of over medicalization so and that, to me, is one reason that we do kind of need to reconsider this definition. And and that's not something that, that we at Triage or anything are trying to propose. This is something that has been proposed by other authors within the literature. So Huber et al. in 2011, they sort of tried to up, update this, this recommendation further. So they made some of the criticisms that I discussed already, and they tried to update the definition. And their update to that definition which was also, you know, it came from came from multiple other sources, from expert panels. It was published in The Lancet a number of years ago. But their definition is essentially the ability to adapt and self-manage. Very simple. Very simple, but also very powerful and very operational. So if we think about the ability to adapt and self-manage, that really starts to broaden our perspective on health. It may seem open to interpretation. It may seem a little bit less specific, but it is quite operational because if we think about something like, let's say, low back pain, we know that the majority, vast majority of low back pain cases are simply considered to be non-specific low back pain, meaning that there's no acute identifiable cause such as a fracture, let's say, nothing that we would be concerned about, nothing that would require specific medical intervention and that we could, you know, look at that, that non-specific low back pain and be confident that it might resolve over time, depending on a number of factors. But that is one example where the ability to adapt and self-manage in that case is a good example of health. Because if you can adapt 
and self-manage in the presence of low back pain, then that essentially is a very healthful thing to be able to do. If you are not able to do that, then that is something that would be considered to be less healthful. So that's where I kind of see this definition coming into play. And I don't want, again, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I don't want to be over prescriptive in how I think you should use this definition. I also don't want to rest on this definition as being perfect because I don't think it is. I think it's very difficult to give a definition as to what it means to be healthy, as to what health is. Um, but I think that's a, it's a nice way of kind of framing it. You know, if you, you're, you're clearly not able to adapt or self-manage in the case of having, you know, a, a compound fracture of your femur, of your femur. Let's say you get knocked down by a car, you, you might need some sort of surgical intervention there because you're not able to self-manage at that point in time. So that might be a significant, significant compromise to your health at that point in time. And that then kind of feeds into the other side of the spectrum where we start to think about things like chronic diseases. You know, when you think about chronic disease, something that someone might have to live with for the rest of their life, the ability to adapt and self-manage becomes really important because we know that we're going to be dealing with more chronic diseases, especially as, as in an aging population. You know, as you begin to age and you begin to, you know, experience some sorts of quote unquote deficits to your health then that ability to, to adapt and self-manage is incredibly healthful and incredibly important for you to be able to live a fulfilling life long into your 70s, 80s, 90s and hundreds, you know, and that becomes more and more important. So that really is the beauty of this definition. And one of the things you might be thinking at this point in time is that it sort of takes away from a lot of the ideas that you might consider to be part of the definition of what it means to be healthy. And what I mean by that is that you've probably thought of health in the past in terms of what I would consider to be biomedical reductionism. For example, like looking at your blood glucose reading and trying to be within a specific range and considering that to be a marker of health. And it is, but it's one of many, you know, the same when it comes to things like blood pressure or your resting heart rate, you know, all of these different things that, that you might consider to be the markers of health, you know, whether it's, it's, it's cholesterol, triglycerides, etc. You're looking at all of these different markers and you consider those to be the components of health. And I think often the idea that we have, especially in the fitness industry, where we're kind of just pulling ideas from medicine a little bit, trying to kind of see what we can take. We often think that if we get enough of these little pieces of the puzzle together, these markers of what's going on in our blood, if we can get all of those together, then we're going to be healthy. And, and that's the reason I think we need to take a step back and, and consider the bigger picture, because if we focus only on specific markers, then we miss the fact that we're talking about real people with real lives. You know, these are human beings, complex human beings that are that are not just these, you know, biological systems that you can just look look at specific markers and quantify the human experience through it's just not that simple you know we, we've got complex psychological needs we've got complex social needs we live in in wider environments or ecosystems and are susceptible to ho a whole host of socio-cultural influences you know all these things are influencing on you as a person to shape you over time and and that's not just that's not just shaping you in terms of the language you use, let's say. It's also shaping you in terms of in terms of actual health outcomes, you know, social support, etc. All really important things. And that 
is what I kind of wanted to focus on in this podcast, okay? It's not just about defining health. If you want to read more about the kind of specifics of the details, you can take a look at the most recent article on the triage militia. I just wrote about this this week, and that's why I wanted to discuss it on the podcast. So what we really wanted to focus on in this podcast is thinking about how we can take our reductionist perspective on what it means to be healthy and what health behaviors are and to begin to expand them a little bit and to get you to look at your own life and to consider you know what am i actually living the healthiest life that i can am i living am i living with healthful behaviors that are going to give me the best chance at a fulfilling healthy life in the long run that's what this podcast is all about so what i want to give you is a specific example that i also wrote about in that article and on our social media and that's in relation to nutrition because i think this is a particularly potent example i think this is something that we can all relate to because i know i certainly can so you know at triage most of our clients they tend to be invested in their health okay so they tend to maybe want to have to improve their body composition in some way or to improve their performance and as a result nutrition tends to be a big component of that so one of the things that they might do is try to avoid certain situations in which they may be likely to consume foods that wouldn't generally be considered to be healthful. So for example, if you were to go to a barbecue during the summer, they might not want to go to that barbecue. You know, that might be a common behavior in the summer in the nice weather, but they might want to skip out on that because the foods and the, and the presence of alcohol may not be conducive of them reaching their health goals. So that to me is a very reductionist perspective on what it means to be healthy. And it is one that we all fall victim to within the fitness industry especially those of us that are invested in body composition related goals okay if we want to maintain good body composition we know that there are certain things that we need to adhere to you know one of them being energy balance you know we need to be mindful of the amount of calories that we're taking in and generally managing your caloric intake and going to barbecues all the time and drinking alcohol they don't tend to fit together okay but to view health as solely you know body composition related is reductionistic and again that's a word i've kind of used multiple times but it's an important word in this context so if we zoom out and we consider what that barbecue might you know resemble it's also a time point at which you are going to be engaging with people that are probably pretty meaningful to you in life you know whether it's your friends your family your girlfriend her family your boyfriend his family whatever those people are probably pretty meaningful, meaningful to you. You probably enjoy spending time with them. And this opportunity for you is an opportunity to foster, you know, better relationships with them, to get closer, to let them know how your life is going, for them to let you know how, how their life is going, etc. You know, those bonds are really, really important. And that's not just about like, oh, it's so nice to be friends with people and stuff. It's like, no, this stuff is actually really important for your health. You know, we have evidence to show that, you know, social isolation, loneliness, these things are negative predictors of health outcomes, okay? So if you are, if you are socially isolated or you are more lonely, then you are at a higher risk of death. You're unlikely to live as long as someone who is not socially isolated and is not experiencing that sense of loneliness. So that's really important, you know, because you can, you can look through the, the research and you can look at, you know, muscle mass being a predictor of mortality. Uh, you know, if you have more muscle mass, you're generally going to live longer. And generally, most people would accept that. People would be like, oh, yeah, that's fair enough. However, they don't think about how 
social factors actually play into that. And, and this is a really, really good example. So if we were to then zoom out and we were to consider that loneliness and social isolation reduce life expectancy and things like having higher levels of life satisfaction tend to increase life expectancy, then we would start to view this behavior of going to a summer barbecue with your friends as a little bit different, okay? It's a little bit more complex now because we have to weigh up different variables. So not only are we looking at the fact that alcohol might detract from one's health, we're not only looking at the fact that the overconsumption of calories might be might not be a good idea. We also start to look at the fact that, oh, if you don't foster those social those social relationships, if you don't, you know, have friends that are close to you, if you don't have a supportive social circle, then those things might actually be bad for your health too. So there are some trade-offs there. And that's where you start to zoom out and begin to look at your life through a broader lens. And you start to think about, you know, maybe I could actually go to one of these barbecues a little bit more often than I do, but I'm not going to do it every day, you know, because there's trade-offs there, okay? If you were to go to a barbecue every day and, and eat all around you every day, sure, that might be a good opportunity for you to get closer to your friends, to share experiences with them. But those experiences might be as valuable if you're doing them, you know, more frequently, like you're not going to have more news from one today, from one day to the other. <laughs> and you're also more likely to be, you know, pushing up to the upper ends of alcohol consumption, pushing your calories up over time, you know, increasing body fat. And it's like, all right, there's, there's some trade-offs there. And if we were to moderate that a little bit and to look at it across the week and say, oh, you know, I, I have actually got multiple opportunities to, you know, reduce my social isolation to, uh, treat myself for the loneliness I'm experiencing, to spend time with people I enjoy, to increase my sense of life satisfaction. But I'm also engaging on average in good nutrition practices. I'm also staying active on average. Then you begin to say, oh, now, now I'm really starting to move toward good health. Okay, so that's where this stuff becomes quite potent in my eyes. I think I think it's a really useful way of looking at things. I think it it, it really helps those of us, especially who are invested in body composition goals. It helps you to take a step back and ask yourself, you know, what does this actually mean for my health in the short and in the long term? Because there's so many of you now that have holidays booked for the summer. I know it. I know it because I've been there. And you're thinking about the diet. You know, you're thinking about getting leaner for holidays and it's like, oh, I'm going to get lean. And then your biggest concern when you go on holidays, and I know this because so many of my clients say it to me, and so many people message me on Instagram talking about it. Your main concern is, oh, how can I manage my nutrition on holidays? How can I make sure I don't gain weight? And I just had this conversation with one of my clients who's going away this weekend. We were talking about, you know, these trade-offs that I've just been discussing. And what I was saying to her is that, look, you're going away for a few days. At most, you'll probably gain a kilo of body fat. Okay, maybe a couple of kilos if you're going away for a couple of weeks. But there's only so much body fat you can gain in a short period of time. But there are a lot of valuable life memories and experiences that can be gained on a very short holiday. Okay, it could be, they could be the things that you and your significant other or your friends or your family that you talk about for, for years to come. And I think the value of being able to look back and say, oh, do you remember that restaurant that we went to? Wasn't it amazing? You know, that remember when you got that ice cream? Oh, that was crazy. You know, so it was so big, man. <laughs> you know, those simple things seem stupid, but they're actually quite meaningful to people. 
And I think if you can open up your eyes to that, I think that starts to become quite potent because that's something that I personally have learned over time is to take a step back from just trying to be so regimented about nutrition all the time and to, and to ask myself, you know, why would I want to take away from this experience of, you know, enjoying myself my holidays and, you know, having the ice cream when I feel like it within reason. It does not mean that I'm just totally binging when I go on holidays. And that ultimately come down, comes down to your overall relationship with food, which may potentially be compromised by your over restriction in the past. So this is all part of you moving forward and improving your overall engagement with health behaviors. And I think the holiday one is a particularly good example. So that is something I would love for you to have a think about um, this summer. You know, when you're thinking about your approach to your holiday, when you're thinking about getting leaner for your holiday, when you're thinking about trying to maintain leanness on your holiday, have a think about like why you were on holidays, why you want to spend time with the people that you're spending time with while you're there, what foods you actually enjoy, you know, whether or not you want to actually go and have that salad just because you love salad or is it just because you feel the need to restrict yourself as opposed to enjoying your holiday so so yeah there, there's a there's a fine line there you know it's important not to let the pendulum swing too far to either end you don't want to be the person that's totally restricting themselves but you also don't want to be the person who just loses any sense of of basic health behaviors you don't want to just be the lazy person that doesn't even stay active um, the lazy person that you know just decides to eat pizza and ice cream for four meals a day on their holiday it's like like no one needs that ultimately that is that is even probably going to reduce the pleasure that you get from each of those meals and ultimately just lets that pendulum swing a little bit too far so that's what i wanted you to think about and i really would ask you to actually consider and and think about what that means for you and your engagement with I guess, the holiday period, if you will, you know, over the summer. And you don't have to be going on holidays to think about that either. It's also relevant to, you know, being in Ireland or England or wherever you happen to be from. So with that in mind, what I wanted to bring you forward to from this point is a paper that I was reading recently that I found particularly interesting. Um, it was published in JAMA. Um, and, and it was by Van der Weyl et al. And their, their, their study was titled uh, Reimagining Health um, Flourishing. I think that, that was what it was titled anyway. But basically, it was about the idea of flourishing, what it means to flourish in life. And this is probably going to get even further away from what you typically think of what it means to be healthy. So the term flourishing, used for thousands of years and literally meaning to grow or to prosper, represents a powerful way to view health in its fullest sense. So that's taken from their paper. And I think it's a really nice way of conceptualizing your idea of health. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to go into the hospital and in the ICU, they're going to be measuring someone's rate of perceived flourishing. You know, clearly the, the biological markers are still very relevant. And, and that goes for like things like blood pressure as well. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move you away from, from vital markers of health. These things are important, but rather I'm just getting you to, I guess, broaden the lens through which you view health. And I think that idea of flourishing is a really, really nice one, you know, meaning to grow or to prosper. And that is something that we talk about all the time at Triage is that idea of trying to fulfill your full potential and becoming the person that you actually want to be. Like 
personally, like that, that is something I think about literally every day. And this, this questionnaire, the flourishing, the flourishing measure, they call it, that they proposed within this paper was something that I found fascinating because I was like, wow, there's so many things in here that I think about all the time and that are very much related to how I view my own health and, and my life in general that I was like, I just need to share this with the people because I, I, I think this is particularly potent. I think it's particularly helpful for people who think that health is to be viewed per, purely through a biomedical lens. You know, if you're the type of person that thinks, oh, if I just go and get these blood tests, then I'll know how to manage my health and I'll be fine for the long run. I would really encourage you to listen up to some of these questions because I think they're just fantastic and they will really get you thinking a little bit deeper about your own health. So what they did in this questionnaire was broke it up into a number of different domains, each of which have their own questions. And what I'm going to do is read through each of these questions um, and, and I'll reflect on some of them afterwards because I think they're really important for you to have a think about. So the first domain was happiness. And question one was overall, how satisfied are you with life as a whole these days? Question two was in general, how happy or unhappy do you usually feel? Now, clearly, happiness isn't something you can use to define health and that's why it's part of the overall questionnaire so the second domain was mental and physical health the question the first question there was in general how would you rate your physical health the second question was how would you rate your overall mental health the third domain then was meaning and purpose the first question being overall to what extent do you feel the things you do in your life are worthwhile and the second question was i understand my purpose in life so again, you give a rating as, as to how much you'd agree with those statements. The next domain was character. And the first question was, I always ask to promote good in all circumstances, or, or sorry, I always act to promote good in, good in all circumstances, even in difficult and challenging situations. And the second question or statement there was, I'm always able to give up some happiness now for greater happiness later. That to me is a really important one to remember. The next domain was close social relationships. The first question being our statement, I am content with my friendships and relationships. And the next statement being my relationships are as satisfying as I would like them to be. And then the final domain was financial stability. The first question being, how often do you worry about being able to meet normal monthly living expenses? And the second question being, how often do you worry about safety, food or housing? And that overall is the is the flourishing measure that they've proposed within this paper. And I think it's fantastic because it's really something that is practical for the everyday person to consider. You know, you don't require any additional resources in terms of testing tools or anything like that for you to be able to have a think about how healthful your life behaviors are currently. You know, and it's not just about your behaviors either, you know, it's about your actual outcomes in this case, because you're measuring, you know, how happy someone actually is, as opposed to just the actions that take them, that take them toward being happy. So I think there are some things that are really worth considering, you know, and, and I, I'm particularly a fan of that, that question of character, you know, question eight, where they said, I'm always able to give up some happiness now for greater happiness later. And I think that's an important one to consider, especially as it relates to happiness, because I think sometimes we're so focused on being happy that we forget about the trade off between how you feel right now and how you will feel in the future or what the returns on the investment of your current behavior will be in the future. 
and and that's just something that I guess is is influenced in some part by social media these days and that you probably expect that you're going to always you know feel fantastic like all of the people that you follow and that you're always going to be in the mood to do everything that that is desirable and that you're going to have all these lovely things you're going to be so happy as opposed to doing the things like like in that statement, I'm always able to give up some happiness now for greater happiness later. You know, that can be, that's very relatable for someone who's a student, let's say. You are giving up something right now. You know, the let's say you, you could be traveling ba- traveling traveling around Bali, you know, taking pics like, like some of your Instagram idols. Or you could be in university studying and trying to elevate yourself to a higher, a higher platform in the future. You know, I think that is that is something that's really worth considering. So overall, I think that flourishing measure really is fantastic. Not because it is something that that is going to replace biological measures by any means. That's not what I'm proposing. I'm just suggesting that you you broaden your perspective on health to consider things like happiness, mental and physical health, meaning and purpose, character, close social relationships, and even your financial stability. So. The more you can work on each of those domains, the more you can begin to, as they say, flourish. And clearly, if you've got more of those things in check, you know, if you've got if, if you're a generally satisfied person and you're happier and you're more financially stable and you've got good social support, you can see how that might play into you then being more likely to, you know, exercise and be active because you've got the resources to be able to go and do those things, you know, with your close social relationships, let's say, or because you're satisfied in life, you can, and financially stable, you can begin to delegate more time towards going away and being active and all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, I guess that is the, the main take home point I wanted you to take from this podcast is that you should probably just have a think about what health means to you and what you really want your life to look like, I guess you could say. Because even though that flourishing measure might seem to apply to most people, some things might apply differently to different people. And I guess the, the, most, the most clear example of that would be financial stability. You know, what, what, you, what, what level of financial stability you need clearly depends on multiple factors within your own life like if you really want to live a very lavish lifestyle then the amount of income that is going to be required for you to be able to satisfy your outputs is going to be different to someone who is very content with a minimalist lifestyle so you can you can see how it's not just a generic one-size-fits-all measure and that it's something that you can begin to apply to your own personal situation. So what I will do is link the paper, the original paper in the description box below the podcast. And then what you can do is click on that, have a look at the questionnaire and have a think about how it applies to you. Again, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's something that is going to be revolutionary from a healthcare perspective, (laughs) as in like on the ground in the hospital setting. But I do think it's something that 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 has a place, especially, I think, for an individual. And that's what I really like about it. I really like the fact that I can read that and have a think about where I am in these different domains. And as I begin to identify holes in these domains, like, for example, if I said, if I answered question three, how would you rate your physical health as being like a, a three out of 10? 
then I'd, I'd have to start considering, hmm, maybe that there's some things that, that I need to work on. You know, I am actually, I am actually overweight and, and I'm unfit and I've got low muscle mass and I'm weak. It's like that, those things might actually be very relevant to you in that case. So it's not just discarding the fact that you need to be fit and strong and all that sort of stuff that we, that we talk about all the time. So I hope that was helpful guys. I hope that it wasn't too esoteric and disjointed and that it didn't just, you know, it wasn't overly vague because I think there are some pretty cold, hard things in there that, that you can take away, think about and more so consider just that whole idea of health, you know, think about the definitions, you know, think about the difference between the ability to, to adapt and self-manage versus maybe what you might classically think of as health as being, you know, this, this perfect, this perfect state that we all aim towards that can be indefinitely improved as opposed to a sort of individual state where you adapt and self-manage within your individual life context. I think that's far more useful. So to finish off this podcast, guys, what I'm going to do is answer a couple of questions and just just as a note recording a whole podcast on your own is very difficult <laughs> I kind of just popped on and didn't really plan the podcast very well because I was just like all right look I'll, I'll do it myself and my mouth is incredibly dry you know <laughs> but there you go um, it's hard to keep talking especially when you're not trying to use words like um hmm. I try to minimize those, although I do recognize that I use them quite a bit, which is pretty damn weak. But we've got some questions on Instagram. I'm going to finish, finish off with those. So the first question, <laughs> I like this one. It's from Gavin Cusack, Coach Cozzy. He said, gym men wearing tights with no shorts on. Needs to stop, lads. Get it out there. <laughs> the funny thing is that I used to be one of these guys. And to be honest, I am all for free expression and I think that's one of the things you have to accept if you want people to be free if you want to have freedom you have to accept that people can wear whatever they want and that I don't particularly care what they wear you know <laughs> um so yeah Gav I'm not gonna be that guy who's like you know judging people for what they wear here I do that sometimes but I used to be that guy I used to wear gym I used to wear like those tights or leggings to to the gym all the time without shorts um although I don't do it anymore uh but you know tim kennedy and some mma fighters do that man and i wouldn't be i wouldn't be criticizing those those guys for doing it so so there you go uh no hate to any of you who any of you lads who happen to wear tights to the gym you're more than welcome other than that uh becca asked happy with your gamsat results hope you are yeah i am for those who aren't aware i sat the gamsat two months ago hoping to go on and study medicine this September. We got the results this morning. I was pleasantly surprised, to be honest. I wasn't overly hopeful. Of course, I had the too easy mindset and all that, but based on the level of preparation that I had done versus what seems to be the average and you know, just my general perception of how I did, how I did when I sat the exam, which was incredibly difficult, I didn't think I'd do as well as I did, so very happy. Now it's just a case of waiting until August to see what the case is with CAO offers. So I have to wait to get an offer, hoping to study medicine in UCC. And if I do get in, then that will be fantastic. But UCC is, I, I think, one of the more difficult ones to get into because the class is small and it generally has the highest cutoff. So although I am over the cutoffs, I am not getting my hopes up too high just yet. So we'll see how it goes. But thanks for asking and I'm overall very very happy so the second question or third question rather 
was, do you have any future goals in fitness, i.e. step on stage, Ironman, powerlifting, etc.? Would love to see. Um, currently not, other than potentially doing a marathon or the quest race in Killarney this year. So some sort of endurance event is about all that I want to do at the moment. Um, other than that, I'm doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Would like to compete in that at some point. But in terms of stepping on stage, I can't see myself doing it. It was initially kind of my main interest when I first got involved in fitness. I love the bodybuilding thing, even men's physique and all that sort of stuff. Right now, not as interested. Um, just not not for me currently. Powerlifting, kind of a similar story. I love strength training, but I actually prefer spending most of my time training in like a six to fifteen repetition range, and I don't I don't get as much of a kick as some people um out of kind of you know maxing out doing like one rep maxes and stuff like that. So while I train in that in that way from time to time, it's not something that particularly interests me from a competitive perspective. But maybe I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, they'd be the main things. And, and when I'm older, I definitely like to do more triathlons and Ironmans and things like that. I find endurance training, although it wasn't what initially got me into fitness, I find it more, um, rewarding because I think it is, I think the actual, the process, I don't mean the long-term process, but I mean the process of the actual event in terms of going and running versus doing, let's say a set of 10 on squats or a set of one on squats. I find it more challenging. Um, psychologically um, clearly there's there's differences they're just different things different beasts and there are different requirements physically and psychologically but I just find that psychological battle of doing some sort of endurance task I find that really rewarding because it's challenging and I think it gives you a lot of time to think um, and to challenge your own your own desire to take the easy way out and to stop. I really like that about, about endurance, endurance events or tasks. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. And then finally, Jay asked, um, how to tell the difference between a postural or structural de def defect in quotation marks, um, such as a tilt in the pelvis or if one limb is longer than another say, and what actions, should be taken for either case ps love the content firstly thank you jay appreciate the the comment about loving the content um anyone that does love the content please leave a review for the podcast it helps us to move up the charts especially if you start to share it around your social media so do get on that hype there are some podcasts there are 69 podcasts ahead of us on the charts the health charts so we can do better than that come on um, but anyway to answer your question um, I wouldn't worry about this too much as an individual, just because, yes, there can be some structural defects that are important. Like, for example, if you have a scoliosis that is above, a scoliosis is basically a lateral curve in the spine. Um, so if you were to look at someone's spine, it might look like an S. Um, it's a lateral curve in the spine that can be problematic in some cases if it's above a certain degree where it requires surgical intervention because it might you know interfere with organ function or something like that but most of these most of these things that you might see in everyday people are not things that are contraindications from an exercise or performance standpoint or that would necessarily predispose you to pain so i wouldn't really be worrying about them too much especially when you start to consider like you know hussein bolt for example has a fairly significant leg length discrepancy and produces more force i think 14 13 or 14 percent more force through one leg versus the other 
despite the fact that he is literally the fastest man on the planet. And you can you can actually watch videos of this. I posted one on my page before of the ground reaction forces when he's running and achieving his world record. And it's just pretty cool to see the difference between left and right in someone who is that elite. Um, so it kind of shows you that, you know, you can achieve peak performance with these quote-unquote abnormalities. And most of the time, I just wouldn't be stressing about it. Now, as I said, that doesn't mean they're totally irrelevant. For example, scoliosis, it can be significant enough to require intervention. But in terms of having like, let's say you're talking about a little bit of a some 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 perceived difference in the height of the pelvis i probably wouldn't stress too much about it you know a leg length discrepancy sometimes they can be meaningful especially if it's significant enough but i mean most of the time it's just not something you need to worry about um so yeah i, I hope that kind of answers your question i know it doesn't specifically but i would like you to think about it in terms of in, in those terms as opposed to the typical way that people think about these things is that if something is slightly imbalanced from left to right, they're going to have injuries all over their body and that some one thing links to the other and we're going to have pain and injury here and there and everywhere. And that's just a bit of a reductionist perspective on the human body and the way in which we adapt over time and pain in and of itself. So that's actually something we'll probably cover more in another podcast in itself because I would like to do a podcast on posture pain, imbalances, all those sorts of things, because I think they are very much misunderstood within the fitness sphere, especially because what we tend to do in the fitness world is take these loose concepts from physiotherapy, even if they aren't particularly evidence-based and assume that we're doing a really good job if we apply them in the physio, in the personal training world, because it looks like we are being quote unquote advanced when in fact, a lot of what personal trainers do when it comes to rehab and addressing this sort of stuff is very much the amateur physiotherapist perspective that would be 20 years old, let's say. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of a starting point. And we will discuss that again, as I said, on another podcast. But guys, I hope you enjoyed this solo episode. I apologize for some of the words that I messed up while I was speaking. <laughs> some of the times I rolled over my words used too many buts and ams and maybe repeated myself but if anyone has tried you know talking pretty much without taking a breath for 45 minutes before you'll know that it is not particularly easy especially when you don't have a script (laughs) or have rehearsed before so i hope you enjoyed the podcast guys um it was my absolute pleasure um and, and as always i would love for you to share this to give feedback and also especially this episode i'd love to hear your feedback i'd love to hear what you think about this idea of health what you think about you know flourishing for example i i really really like that concept and and it might just me being being biased because i think about that stuff all the time and because I'm big into that idea of having some sense of meaning of purpose and and general life satisfaction. And I'm big into that as it relates to your career in particular. You know, I'm big into people seeing value in being competent at something. It's something I'm very, very passionate about. And it's it's something I'm very concerned with in my own life. So I just love to to hear your thoughts on that. And and yeah, we will leave it there for this week. And uh, thank you for listening. And Patty will be back next week. And as always, what you can do is check out the description box for further information about our services. That includes our online coaching, our group coaching, our membership site. And you can also submit a question for the podcast 
um, at the link in the description box. And what I will also do in future weeks is keep this Q&A going at the end of the podcast. And we will also be taking questions on our social media so that you can have you can contribute your question and we can discuss it at the end of the episode. So I hope your week is off to a fantastic start this Monday morning. And I hope you just have a savage week and crush it and that your summer's off to a good start. And remember, of course, it is too easy.